Guinness. Welcome into another edition of Brewcast on the eve of what is the very best time of year. I am Luke Giardi, joined as always by Anthony Broom and Chris Castellani. And while we do have to talk about the Big Ten tournament, it did not end the way we may have hoped, but uh, the, the future for the next couple of weeks, I still think is very bright. We'll get into all that. And uh, first, got to welcome in my co-host, Anthony. Chris, what's going on, guys? How you doing? Good to be back. Um, it was a fun weekend in Chicago. Uh, just, I mean, even with how Sunday's game went, it was still a fun game. It was still, I mean, that we'll talk about it during the game uh, stuff that we talk about. But uh, atmosphere is absolutely electric. One of the most unique environments I've ever been in. Um it was a good weekend uh, down in the Windy City. I, I didn't come back with quite as much content as I thought I would in terms of stuff to bring back here, but uh, I made up for that because, I mean, we have, obviously we have Big Ten Tournament to recap. We'll talk about all the brackets that came out, um, you know, outlook of Michigan in the West region and all that stuff. And then, surprise, we have fo- uh, football news too. Uh, Jim Harbaugh spoke to the media uh, on Monday for the first time in – about three months, uh, and he was very talkative uh, during that session. I was there. I have audio for us, so uh, we'll go through all that and uh, oh, some interesting stuff uh, on the record about Josh Gaddis for the first time, on the record about the quarterback position and how it does kind of appear to be a battle right now. And also, he made a comment about uh, Greg Madison going to Ohio State and. Chris, what's happening, my Maybe man? A little bit of shade there. Uh, we uh, have the audio, you know, so we'll let you decide. The, the sun came up today, so uh, things are things are looking up. I guess I, I got to give I got to give you credit, Anthony, for uh, obviously going to Chicago and having having the weekend you did. Uh, but your your positive outlook regarding the weekend as a whole is is amazing to me. Uh, and I mean that in a good way. And I, I really, I don't mean to even say that in a patronizing way. It's just, I, the fact that you were able to come out of that weekend and still like see the positives in it and be like, yeah, it was a good weekend. Good weekend for the site. Good weekend individually. Uh, it is just something I could, I can never do. Uh, so like, I give you a ton of credit. I know. I know. I saw the video. I saw the video. Uh, let me tell you something about how Sunday went. So as soon as the, all right, so basically, let me rewind a little bit. So I brought like pretty much a, a, an average size like luggage case with me, you know, something it would be carry on on a plane. Brought that plus a backpack. That's a lot to lug around Chicago when you check out like three hours before the game. So I was able to kill time with all that. And luckily, I was sort of sweating this out, but luckily the Big Ten emailed us on Sunday and said, hey, media that has baggage, um, you're, you're bring the baggage to the, the arena. We'll check it for you, and you can take it on the way out. So I had my baggage with me. Uh, that game ended about uh, 4.30 Chicago time, 4.40-ish, whatever it was. Uh, my train, I took the train there, which was delightful, by the way. I, I recommend that highly. My train left, was leaving at 5.45. I walked out of that arena at 4.45. And the way I was like, all right, well, uh, the train station's only a couple miles away. I can grab a, grab a lift, grab an Uber, Uber to the train station. I knew it was going to be a little bit longer because that's just the logistics of leaving an event right at, you know, as it ends. Everyone's walking out, not, not the whole arena, because obviously the Michigan State fans like stayed to watch the celebration and all that. Um, 
as soon as that clock hit zero, I booked it out of there. Uh, so I, I go to look on my phone, call for two lifts because lifts are usually a little cheaper and, and I am a cheap person. So two lifts cancel on me. So I go to Uber, go to use Uber. And apparently United Center had a partnership with Uber where to get picked up, you had to go to this parking lot. You, you would get your Uber. This driver would go to the parking lot. And you'd have to call your driver when you got there and they were assigned a lane and you'd walk over to that lane. They wouldn't let you into this area, though, until your driver called you with a lane number. So I get to this lot about, you know, 450. Mind you, that's about 55 minutes or so before my train leaves. Get the Uber. My Uber, the one I happened to hail, was 15 minutes away, which I'm like, oh, God, okay, we're pushing it here because it's going to take about 15 minutes to get there. That would put me there at about 530. I'd have about 15 minutes. Okay, cool. Uh, we'll do we'll do what we can. And then I had one of those situations where the guy, like you can watch, you know, you could watch the Uber on the map. The car, it was one of those things where I don't know if it was the, the GPSs were off because there are a bunch of phones, but the car just stopped. And the time on the car was getting like 16 minutes. 17 minutes the car was starting to like spin around in a circle i'm freaking out like it's five it's 5 20 i'm still standing in this lot so finally the guy gets there and drop you know <laughs> gets lost I, I get the uber get my lane number i'm let through the guy gets lost on the way to the train station i get dropped off at the train station at 5 42 my train leaves in three minutes so I have three minutes to get from the street level down to this train. I run running through the the, the train station like a all crazy person, insane person. And, you know, the guy I go to show the guy the ticket at the gate and he goes, oh, that's that's the train right there. But you better hurry up because they're they're just about ready to get moving. So I'm running through this train like is getting red, like the doors are closing. And I'm like, remember Stop the scene the from the original yeah. Spider-Man where he's like banging the bus going, Stop the bus. Stop the bus. Like I bang on this door, board the train, the min- literally the minute it pulls out. So that was uh It's almost as wild as the game. To to kind of that was a long well, that was a long story, but like then I get on the train and I see your video. And if I had had time to kind of sink into that and worry about the game, I may have had a similar take, but I was so like preoccupied with just trying to get out of Chicago that that game was like the, that that was the best, that was the was best thing that could have happened by what the community ended up doing. It kind of was. Yeah, honestly. Uh, and not that the game was meaningless, uh, unless you go by like how the committee ended up, breaking down the seeds and what happened to MSU with who, whose region they ended up in. But my God, what a weekend that was. It was a weekend full of trains too. Um, the hotel I stayed at was literally like a, it was a couple, like probably four or five miles away, but it was a straight shot to the United center. So I was able to hop on like, it's called, you know, they have the blue line, the red line, purple line, whatever it is, the blue line train. I'd have to walk about two blocks and cost $3, and it was four or five stops down the way. Perfect. It worked out perfectly. Friday night after the game, of course, it's late. Uh, I don't know how familiar you guys are with Chicago, but uh, it's a little bit of a sketchy area around United Center. Um, So having to get on the train over by there at 1130 at night, like when you're alone, is kind of strange. And let me tell you, that 1130 blue line train 
was one of the oddest experiences of my life. And it's, it included a sight and a smell of, of something I'll never forget. I, I honestly don't even know if I want to tell you guys what it was. On here. I'm not even sure <laughs> oh, it's man. to be shared on here. What an experience. But too lo- the too long didn't yeah. read of it all is take the train if you can. Uh, my train ride ended up, uh, it was Amtrak, uh, no free ads, but uh, it was about, because I booked it so late, it was about 130 bucks. But if you book a train to Chicago, like early enough in advance, it's only about four and a half hours out of, you know, I, I left from Dearborn. Uh, if you book long enough in advance, it's like 30 bucks each way, which is a steal in my opinion. Plus you can, they've got a bar on the train. You can pretty much bring like whatever you want on the train. Uh, is it is that like a box? Is it like a boxcar train, like like old school, like Billy the Kid robbing you, like sort of thing? Yeah, it's. I mean, um, to me, it just it, like it looks sort of like an airplane. Except, I mean, it's not like the Hogwarts Express. Like, did you get your own car? Oh, you okay? So you don't get your own like thing? Like, I guess. No, no, no. Um, it's two seats on each side of the aisle. Um, so it's like a bus on tracks. You pretty much get on the train. Yeah, kind of, but you're not buckled in or anything. You can get up. Uh, I'd suggest an aisle seat because, you know, four and a half hour train ride, you're going to want to get up a few times to use the bathroom. Um, and then there's, like I said, there's the cafe car at the back of the train where they got you know, snacks and you know, actually booze. St. Patty's Day weekend. There's a lot of that going on. <laughs> Wait, is, did that have anything to do with what yeah. the smell was? <laughs> Um, no, this not on. Okay. The blue line train oh. is different. The blue line train is like, think like, oh, okay. I got, okay. downtown Detroit, except, except it's bigger and is not totally pointless. Cause it goes out to the entire city instead of up two block radius. But, um, let's just shout out trains okay. is the moral of the story. This, let me just say this and I won't, I'm not going into detail of this because it's something I actually want to forget. Um, if you've ever seen, this might not be a reference you guys get. Maybe some people in the audience will get. But if you've ever seen some of Dave Chappelle's stand-up comedy from like back in the mid two thousands, just remember the bit of what the homeless guy did on the bus. <laughs> oh, <laughs> let's. That oh. is all. So let's 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 let's, let's dive uh, into the game. You know, how about that? You know, some other yeah, some other things happened this weekend. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and executively redact it from the record because we could talk about that off. Um, so obviously a really disappointing end to the tournament, especially considering I'm going to be honest with Michigan went up five. I thought that uh, I thought kind of the game was over it was 60 to 55. I think it was like two minutes left. Um, I don't know what got into Matt McQuaid yesterday. Like I've been very anti Matt McQuaid since I ever watched him step foot on a basketball court, you know, and I, this just what a terrible time. Like for me as a Michigan fan for the, every blind squirrel finds an acorn every now and again, sort of thing to happen. Cause uh, Matt McQuaid going for 27 on you. First of all, you gotta be ashamed. I don't care what Ken Palm tells me, like you can't be considered the top, the second best team defense in the country if you let matt friggin mcquade put up 27 on you i'm i'm gonna be salty about that probably for the rest of my life so that's that's good um what were you guys takeaways from the game because obviously michigan for the third time in a row against michigan state just kind of crumbled under the pressure (laughs) and um i'll 
this I'm viewing this one in the vacuum of this weekend because I mean, if you want to call me Mr. Positive Positivity, that's fine. I mean, I do come out of the Big Ten tournament and this weekend feeling a whole hell of a lot better uh, than than I did going into it. Uh, now Sunday was a step, you know. I can't. Even, it's hard for me to say it was a step in the wrong direction or, or a step back because isn't that kind of what we all like? We got every other prediction that we had for the Big Ten tournament. The three of us got wrong. Uh, oh, Penn State might run. Oh, I'll be surprised if Maryland makes some noise. Uh, I forget. Um, didn't one of us say Rutgers? Like, look for Rutgers. To, like, I, I forget. I, I don't think so. Don't, no, I, don't, I won't do that. Hey, don't be putting words in our that'll mouth. That'll come now, back Anthony, right? a little later on. Hit, hit, um, for the- <laughs> almost all of our predictions for this weekend pretty much didn't come true, except for the fact that the three of us were, I believe, unanimous in saying that we felt like Michigan State would win the tournament. Um, you know, I, I think when I view – I mean, it was essentially what happened the first two times. Michigan got out to a big lead. Um you know, up by as many as 13 in the in the second half and um, I felt like uh, not not great I mean at some point to me we've talked about this this team and this matchup between these two teams three times in the last three weeks now and it kind of just goes back to what the way I felt the last time we talked about it in that Michigan State's just a better basketball team uh, the two best players on the floor in that game are cash were Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman for either team. Um, and that's been the difference in, in every game. Cassius Winston is a special player. Xavier Tillman changes games. I mean, he came, he went out with foul trouble in the first half Michigan ended the half on like a 20 to six run. It was insane. Um, and they did what they had to do in, in attacking that weakness. They were up eight, eight points at the half. The problem was that, in crunch time again, we've talked about, and this is what I thought they did a very good job of on Friday and Saturday was that when they got up 13, 14, 15 points, you didn't see Iowa or Minnesota get back in the game. Michigan stepped on their throats and, and expanded that lead and, and finished them. Um, you know, if you were going to get out to a lead like that against Michigan state, um, your only chance was that they maybe emotionally crumbled after the, the Kyle Arns injury. What, which let me say, was absolutely terrifying. Uh, the atmosphere in there was insane. I've never seen anything like it. It was um, yeah. what I imagine. It's sort of like what a lot of you know some of these um, these World Cup soccer games are like with uh, equal representation of the two fan bases in there. I mean, it was as close to 50-50 as it gets. And when Michigan State would do something well, the roof would be blown off the place by them. When Michigan something did something well, Roof would be blown off the place by them. And what that injury was, was, you know, it happened at a point where 23,000 people were, were screaming their heads off, um, you know, on both, both sides. And you heard him scream over that. And from that scream turned into total silence. You could hear a pin drop in there. It was terrifying. And I'll be completely honest. Like when you see, like when you realize like what that kid has been through, like, I'll be honest, I, I sort of teared up a little bit because you see that that moment was bigger than sports when, you know, the team team surrounds him, uh, both fan bases when he's gets put up on the stretcher, um, stand up, standing ovation. Tom Izzo, you could see Tom Izzo fighting back tears on the sideline. Like that was that was one of uh, that was a very that, that was very moving, I think, is the way I would put that. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, I thought that there was a point in this game where I thought it was a step up from the last two times in that Michigan didn't crumble exactly. I mean, yeah, Michigan State went on whatever it was, a 10-0 run to end the game, but you know they were they were hitting some big shots down the stretch, and then on the other end, Matt McQuaid would hit a shot, or someone would make a play. Cassius Winston would make a play. Um, you know, I, I liked their compete level in the game. Um, I'm not gonna. There were I'm not gonna bag on the refs, and this is where I tweeted from the Brewcast account that I felt like I felt like this is where all three of us might have a little bit of a different take on that game. I'm not going to bag on the refs, but but there were two moments where the Matt McQuaid shooting foul where he got three shots. I don't understand. I, I get the rule, but I don't understand how that's that's a foul, you know that's a shooting foul. And then at the end of the game, yeah, I realized Cassius Winston fouled Jordan Poole. Duh. But that's the kind of shit you deserve when you pull up and take a 35 foot jumper. Um, <laughs> at that point in the game, he was. He Jordan Poole actually like those first two games looked pretty locked in, but in that Thank game you. Sunday, I mean, you're close enough. I'm close enough to the floor where you could see facial expressions and things like he just looked out of it, man. I don't understand. And it was um, disappointing because I thought that he did take a couple, couple steps forward and then kind of reverted back to what he was uh, in that game. He was uh, headache inducing. So uh, here's and Chris, I'll let you go here in a sec. I know you probably want to get get a little rant in but um with the foul uh with Cassius Winston and Jordan Poole like I was so upset at that because I know you guys like don't really follow high school basketball in the state of Michigan or anything like that uh but but I cover high school basketball and there's a team from the UP Iron Mountain that was playing on Saturday at the Breslin Center in this state championship game so they uh, first of all, it was like they were up one. Uh, they went in for a layup. They got called for a travel. That was it. Just wasn't a travel. Like that's not a judgment call. You either travel or you don't. And then it got turned around. Like Iron Mountain had some fouls to give, so they went to like foul to to put them on the line or put them out of bounds. You know, take them in with point seven seconds on the clock, and they called an intentional foul. You know, like on a common foul, like you saw what Cassius Winston tried to do with Jordan Poole. So I see that happen. And then in the Big Ten title game, like Cassius Winston fouled Jordan Poole. I don't think they should have given Jordan Poole shots, but Michigan should have got to take it out. But for them to not call a foul there is just completely inexcusable because the guy was trying to foul and he made contact and he fouled. Like, I'm just sick of officials as a whole, I think, at this point, you know, after the weekend. That's that's the only reason I got so upset. Like, I don't think Jordan Poole deserved three shots, but Michigan should have been taking the ball out on the side. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I, I get your frustration, and I'm, you're not wrong when you say you know you're tired of officials. I think, I think ninety percent of people who watch sports, especially basketball, are are tired of uh, just the inconsistency, the occasional home, well, the often home cooking when it when it comes to uh, games and one at one site. Uh, it's bad. It's worse. I think. It's worse in college basketball than in any other sport. Uh, with that said, uh, to me, the game, with the way Michigan's offense was going, the game was decided at that point. Um, on a level, and going back just a little bit to what Anthony was talking about, there you are, you're very, very correct in the sense that there were a lot of positives to take out of this weekend. I think the first two games Michigan played about as good as we've seen them play in months. 
um, making shots. Defense was great. Um, really evenly distributed scoring. You were getting production by a lot of different players. Yeah. Um, I know in that first game, they had five guys in double figures. Uh, I, I didn't in, get a chance in to In both watch. games, uh, 20, 20 plus assists in, in both games. The, that right. On. Just awesome. Awesome. And led, obviously, by, by Xavier Simpson, who was great in this tournament. Um but as far as as far as yesterday's game game goes, and I fully acknowledge, I am extremely irrational when it comes to the Michigan Michigan State rivalry. Right, but on a on a heartbreak scale, the one to ten heartbreak meter, this one was like a nine. This one stung hard. Uh, and and the reason for it, and this is where I I I I get frustrated is, you know, you look at last season, and last season I bring it up a lot, but there really is so much truth to the fact that it was in 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 a lot of ways a a magical year for Michigan. They they beat every team in the Big Ten. They win the Big Ten tournament. They make it to the national championship game. They have an amazing shot against Houston to to send them to the Sweet Sixteen. They stomp Michigan State twice. And it's like, man, it would be nice if we could enjoy that for a little bit more than a year. Like, do you do you understand what I like? I've I, and I've brought this up on past podcasts. I've we've never seen in my lifetime a year where Michigan basketball was good and Michigan State just wasn't. MSU's what what, what their worst worst year since I've been alive was what like 2011 probably when they lost in the NCAA tournament in the first round to UCLA and and they got swept by Michigan. Like that that was that was their worst year. Right? But besides that all they've d- done is, you know, with the exception of the last couple of years I know, they 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 hang a banner essentially every season. And and, and this year you know, we'll, we'll talk in a second about the draw and, and where things are going to line up in the Big Ten tournament. We know who the better team is, and that's what's so frustrating. Michigan State, I just I just want them to go away. I hate this stupid rivalry, man. I hate it. I hate it so much, and I hear people talk about it. Eh, it's good for the rivalry when both teams are, are good. I don't – I can't tell you how little I care about that. I just want them to go away. Jesus, man. It was like Michigan had – that game, it really did seem like they were on the verge of burying MSU, and and just like like it just a disease. They just wouldn't go away. Thirteen point lead in the second half. Michigan State is on the ropes, and, and there's just these little moments that you can look back on that you could say those were moments where Michigan could have taken advantage, could have could have not just won the game, but buried them, and they didn't. I, I think there was a possession when they were up by 12, I believe, where there was a rebound that Jordan Poole should have had that got ripped away from him, which was just a lack of effort. Uh, there was it's, uh, The moment I, I think a lot of us went, uh-oh, was it was going into I believe the under twelve timeout. Matt McQuaid throws a uh, throws a, a ball over his head. It goes over the, off the backboard and in for an and one. And, and you, you we all saw it coming. And once again, this team offensively just no movement. It's the same stuff. Third time in a row. Just the definition of insanity. You're watching this, expecting a different result, and they were they had it. Like you said, with with when they got up five, when Livers hit that three. I really thought I'm like, all right, they're good now, and it's just if if McQuaid misses one three, 
if if Michigan makes one more shot, we're talking about things completely differently. It was an excruciating loss, the fact that they weren't able to pull that game out. And to lose three times to your rival in one year is, you know, people are going to say I'm harsh. It, it's embarrassing. This is who you measure up to. And, and the one thing, I, the the biggest takeaway, I think, I, or at least I got from this this Big Ten tournament, and really the last week or so, is that, and I know Purdue got got a share of it, what, what we said early on in the season, in December and January, when we all said it's Michigan, Michigan State, and everybody else, was absolutely true the whole way, no matter how the standings turned out. The two best teams in the Big Ten all year were Michigan and Michigan State, and it just sucks that in three opportunities, they couldn't they couldn't take advantage of one. They had leads in the second half of all three of those games, and they fell apart in each one. Man, it's brutal, brutal. Well, a loss in the Big Ten championship game, a lot of people feel, may have benefited Michigan, judging on the draw. We'll talk about the draws next after this. Back in here on Brewcast, ready to talk a little bit about the upcoming NCAA tournament coming off the you know the heels of the Big Ten tournament, which unfortunately Michigan was not able to win three consecutive, but uh, nine straight victories in the Big Ten tournament, nothing to hang uh, their heads about. Obviously, you'd want ten, but can I, can uh, I make, a lot of people can I make are... a final comment on like just Michigan State in general. Um, and this, to me, it's you know Chris talked about how. Last year was a magical season for um, for Michigan basketball, and uh, you know, obviously, 2013 was a, a magical season for Michigan basketball. Um, doesn't this? Cause, I mean, this it, this when you look at it from the other side, and maybe like I know I don't want to say I'm not as emotionally invested in it, but this feels like a magical season for Michigan State basketball with with all they've been through, the injuries. Cassius Winston is you know their version of Trey Burke. Uh, I don't think he gets enough love nationally. So, I mean, again, some, some I don't want to sound like middleman and, and downplay everything and, and be like the lawyer of it all here, but um, I'm not saying that losing to Michigan state three times doesn't hurt, but I think that what I'm starting to feel is that this is more Michigan state's year than it is Michigan's. And it's kind of just as simple as that. So, um, in terms of whose year it is, I mean, let's just call it what it is. Unless Michigan goes to the Final Four again, this will be known as the year that they lost to Michigan State three times. Um, plain and simple, with with two banners on the line and you know it the in the grasp of their hands all three times. So um, we'll see who ends up going farther in the tournament. I certainly think that that's an interesting storyline here that we'll talk about here now. Well, let's let's talk about it because I'm not with everyone on this, by the way, because you got first of all, you got to win. So obviously the the big commotion is that Michigan State people feel like they got the worst draw um, because they're in Duke's region. Like, that's literally it. Like they have an absolute cakewalk to the Elite Eight. Michigan State, if they don't make it to the Elite Eight, all those wins against Michigan, those banners are hanging all for not. Because it would be absolutely horrendous for Michigan State not to make the Elite Eight. They've got no one. Like Louisville, uh, you can say what you want about Louisville. They've been bad down the stretch of this season. You can, 
You can sharpie the Spartans right into the Sweet 16, as far as I'm no concerned. No question. Louisville has been bad. They've got two wins in their last, what, seven games? Like, that, they've been terrible. This is not the same team that beat Michigan State earlier in the year. So I don't understand the thinking behind Michigan State. Uh, getting the worst draw. One, they get to stay closer to home. They get to play their regional in Washington, D.C. The reason is it's because it's it's Izzo's boogeyman. It's the one team that any other team in the country, you'd feel like Michigan State would probably have a pretty good chance against. Like, I don't think anybody's beating Duke. Like, spoiler alert, that's my, like, that's the pick to win it all. Like, they're they're good. I, I don't get, and I also don't get, like, why do you feel as a two seed you deserve to play no one to get to the final four? You know what I'm saying? Well, I think the problem with all this is that what the committee essentially did was admit that that the Big Ten title game right. didn't matter, which is kind of ridiculous. Like, how can you? I, I well, all, I don't, I don't agree with that though, because they're the number two two seed. Yeah, but they have a case. I mean, you could make the case that they could have been a one seed, but still, like they, I know there's proximity and all that stuff, but you mean to tell me that you beat, they have three top 10 wins over their rival in the last three weeks. And what's your reward for that? You have to go play Duke, which is, listen, I mean, I'm not lying. I know I'm kind of defending them right now. It's kind of hilarious. I mean, it definitely is hilarious (laughs) because, you know, I don't, I don't think they'll beat them, but, uh, you know, I think that's why there's a. I tweeted this out earlier today. I, when I and we'll talk about Michigan's draw, uh, but I think there's a lot more teams in Michigan's uh, in the West region capable of beating Michigan than there are teams uh, in states region that have a chance to beat them. Correct, and that and that that's I think the 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 difference between the two. Then and and you guys both kind of brought it up is. Uh, I think Michigan – look, I think Michigan State deserved a one seed. I think they got hosed in that aspect. I think the NCAA tournament, I don't know when uh, this – when it changed, but it seems like especially the last couple of years, maybe I've just been made more aware of it. They, they rank and they seed based on what matchups look the sexiest, not necessarily uh, what what teams should be in which spot. Um so I and and that's look that sucks. If you're a state fan, like I I I absolutely understand the frustration. That I really don't think there's anything else they could have done to to get uh, a number one a number one seed. It stinks. Can I, can I just say I think it's ridiculous that uh, there were three one seeds from the ACC. Of um, course. Because, well, that's that's my question. Like, if you're saying Michigan State deserves a one seed, you have to take someone off the one line, and who is that? Yeah, I mean, to me, like North North, Car- North Carolina. North Carolina did North Carolina win the the regular season in the ACC or was it Duke? No, it was Virginia. No, it was, it was North. It was Virginia. No, so I, I think they Virginia? split. Okay. Yeah, I think UNC got the one seed in the conference tournament, though. Uh, no, okay. Virginia did because Florida State was the four. Oh, okay. Okay, so this is it's weird because you would think like one of those team all of those teams had a stake of something, but not all of those teams had like the like Duke obviously, yeah, number 1 seed. Uh but like someone didn't win the Big 10 turn uh the, I'm sorry, the ACC tournament. Someone didn't outright win the uh, you know the ACC regular season title. To have three one seeds there reminds me of like when two 
it's like when two playoff teams or two SEC teams get into the college football playoff. It's like they're kind of just there because they're there. That that sounds weird to me. I, it does. Am I? Is that making sense? Am I just like talking out of my? No, I mean I, I I get it, and I think it is it is silly, and I think UNC I uh, those it, it's out, and it also seems like they're kind of contradicting themselves. Like they, they're they place Duke as the number one seed. Obviously, they won uh, the ACC tournament, but I think that they're they're kind of they're they're kind of just taking away all of. Duke's most recent losses and saying, well, Zion wasn't healthy. Zion is healthy now. Therefore, they're the best seed going into the tournament, which doesn't bother me. But I feel like they're crediting North Carolina for beating Duke twice, even though Zion wasn't there. Does that make sense? Okay, I feel like that that might not make sense. But do, do you understand what I mean? I know what you're like. like, like you Duke's resume is boosted uh, because when they failed, Zion wasn't there is what you're saying. Right. But they're but they're. When you look at Duke's resume, it's it's different. Where where they kind of say, well, yeah, they lost to North Carolina twice, but Zion wasn't there. They win the ACC tournament. They beat North Carolina. When Zion's there, now Duke automatically number one seed. North Carolina, well, they beat Duke twice. Automatic one seed. Kind of doesn't make a lot. Well, of sense. and this this is so this like- is what I have a problem with is that college basketball. It seems like the selection process. Yeah, there's always a few teams that were on the bubble that are kind of pissed off. Um, but this is like, this is why RPI was there. This is why, you know, the net ratings were there. It seems like they have a lot more black and white ways of like, okay, this is what a tournament team is. This is not what a tournament team was. And there wasn't like, there wasn't a lot of, the bubble was not very strong this year. Like it was pretty cut dry who was in, who was out. Um, I don't, I can't think of any egregious, like, um, I mean, there's seeding stuff there for sure, but I can't think of anyone that was left out that deserved to be there. Uh, so, so it feels like. Well, I have. I, I've got. A, I've got a question for you guys. Like, I, I know we're talking, you know, about this in, in the bubble and whatnot, but I, I, I'm just looking at it, and I've been looking at it. Like, is there anyone? Would either of you like switch spots with Michigan State? I would switch spots with Michigan State in a heartbeat as a Michigan fan. Really. Oh, in in a heartbeat. Michigan's looking at playing Nevada, which has maybe the top, the best starting five in the country. I know they're not deep, but they switch one well, through yeah, five, and they're tall and let's athletic. Let's talk about and, Michigan's region right now. Let's just get into that then. Um, like, I don't want to. I don't want to be out in the West when I'm looking at this draw. Nevada, Texas Tech in the Sweet Sixteen, who's a who's a top ten Ken Palm team. And then if you win that, you got to go up against presumably Gonzaga, who yeah is one of the few teams that beat Duke at full strength this year like Gonzaga's a good team man I don't think they're get, getting their credit that they deserve they're one of the best shooting teams in the country I think they're first in effective field yeah. goal percentage like Michigan's draws brutal and they have to well, go out big, west like I would switch with Michigan State in a heartbeat this is gonna sound strange but I would switch for the first weekend like I, I think because I, I, I really believe I think Michigan much like last year really I think Michigan's toughest uh kind of toughest circumstance is going to be that first weekend. They can get out of that and get some momentum. I think they're going to be, they're going to be in pretty good shape in the second weekend. uh, Cause I think a, a, a team, a Michigan team having won three games in a row going into the elite eight, obviously is going to win that fourth. I worry about them winning 
those first two in the in the opening weekend, and uh, I wouldn't really trust them to beat Duke. Uh, so they, I, I don't know I, if I would necessarily if I would necessarily trade off with with them, but I, I get what you're saying. Um, I, I, I don't like yeah, their I don't like but, their matchup. Not only is Nevada, I, here's, Texas here's Tech the is the number that. one and ranked defense wrote, in the country. Like, I wrote about in adjusted defense. The, like that offense going up against that defense scares the hell out of me, man. Michigan playing potentially playing Texas Tech is it's the Spider-Man team. Spider-Man playing at each other. They are like almost exactly the same team. Now they have Jared Culver, who is probably a lottery pick and you know obviously a very good player. But um, and they went to Elite Elite Eight last year. So and that's um, that would be the potential wow. Sweet Sixteen opponent. Uh, if I yeah understand. yeah and all yeah and all five um, I think all five Nevada, are fifty year seniors too. Nevada, I mean, it took Jeez, it took magic for Michigan so to be strange last year, and I think that the Nevada team that they could possibly see is is better than I think they're better than Houston was. Uh, their starting five is all seniors, and also um, also all five guys are seniors. Their right? their is two best correct? players have man buns, kind of like the Houston guy from last year. So oh, you, you got you dealing with that again. Was that guy's name Rob Ford? Something like that. Something like that, man. Why can't I remember? I just know him as Man Bun. Damn. It was Rob Ford was that? Uh, no, he was he was the he mayor, was the mayor, mayor of Toronto, Toronto. The, the one that did a bunch of drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I also think that Michigan's. I mean, Gonzaga. Listen, Gonzaga is the one seed. They beat Duke head to head. I believe they're ranked higher than Duke on Kempom. Um, this is might arguably be the best Gonzaga team that we've ever seen. Um, but again, the the thing of it is, is Gonzaga is just so famous for flaming out. And like, I know it's, it's like, thank you for saying that. I, this is, and not to cut you off, but that, that is something I wanted to bring up is Gonzaga they like they've had an incredible stretch. The hell, they they made it to the national championship game two years ago, but for some reason, if you can't, I if you never can't win it with Adam Morrison, I don't when they trust get you ever. when they get into the worst crush stash in the history of college basketball. <laughs> it, it's there. There's still to me, and look, and this is it's probably an ignorant statement saying this. And I, yeah, I, I don't. I don't watch a ton of uh, whatever. What uh, the Mountain West is that when they play on, in? I should know this. Uh, no, it's the West Coast Conference, right? Is that it? Oh yes, of course. The illustrious. I don't watch. I don't watch a ton of West Coast Conference basketball. Right. So, so maybe this is just a dumb, ignorant statement. But I still look at Gonzaga as that that little team like that Cinderella team that is somehow in the top five every year like they and the national championship game they they made it to they would have won if they wouldn't have played like complete and utter garbage uh, besides that like they've been a one seed before I remember that they were they were a one seed with Kelly Olenek they almost lost to a 16 and then lost to Wichita State who went on to to make the final four I believe that was the year um so I, I don't know. I have a weird like. I look at them similar to how I look at someone like Virginia, where I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. And they made one Final Four. That was that was cute. Um, but I, so I that's that. 
You know, that's the thing, though. But, like, when you look at Duke as of recent, too, like, they won the national championship in 2014 and 2015. But if you go back to 2011, 2012, two out of those three years, they got bounced by 15 seeds. They made an Elite Eight in the year in between. They did win the national championship. Then the Sweet 16, then got bounced in the first weekend in 16-17, and then went to the Elite Eight last year. Like, I... Outs, like the national championship is huge, but over from 2011 to 2012, like their resume is really similar. Yeah, but Coach Coach K has never had like what people think is. I mean, he's had obviously extremely good NBA caliber players come through there. I mean, he's a factor in that regard, but he's never had a generational right. talent. You know, like a you know someone that's on. People say that Zion is on. It is. It is interesting, though, that like Marvin Bagley last year was considered that for most of the year. I remember when they had his announcement, when he reclassified, like they were saying, this guy's the next Kevin Durant. And like, I get it. I don't I think Zion's going to be better than Marvin Bagley. I'm just like he's had some really good players that he's kind of flamed out with. Here's the thing with Duke. And this is where if I'm Michigan State. I'm like, yeah, it's a terrifying matchup because it's Duke and and Izzo. I don't believe has ever beaten Coach K. Um, yeah, but Duke doesn't really have a point guard like a, a like Cassius Winston could be an equalizer in that matchup in a big way, and I certainly think that guys. See, I I personally love Trey Jones. I'm a big Trey Jones supporter, so I'm not going to go with you on that. That's fine. I'm just saying Cassius Winston is like, if you're looking for a player in this tournament who I know everyone's kind of ride Ja Morant and hoping that he can go on a run and things like that. But if there's a player in this tournament can, that can do like a Kemba Walker type thing uh, and just kind of put a team on his back, like Cassius Winston is, is like right up there to me. So if they were, this would, it, it would be funny to me and it would not be amusing because it would be Michigan state going to the, uh, you know, the final four going to a, potentially the national title, it would not, it would be funny. It would be ironic. I'll say if after all these years of Izzo not being able to beat coach K, he beats him when coach K has maybe the best team that he's ever had with arguably what three guys that'll probably be top five picks in the NBA draft. Like that would just be ironic. That's all. Um, that let me step in here because this is what like duke is obviously ridiculously good right but there seems to be this narrative and i'm not saying that this is what you're saying but with the way espn loves them and and the way a lot of you know the the twitterverse feels there seems to be this belief that now that zion is back duke is invincible it, it that is sure as hell the narrative that oh, pretty much every Spartan fan is throwing around. Oh God, it's Duke! It's Duke again! We're gonna lose! We're gonna lose! Look, Duke is amazing. That they are absolutely the favorites coming into this tournament. If I fill out a bracket, yes, I would pick them to win the whole thing. They aren't invincible. It, they lost to North Carolina twice in the regular season without Zion. He came back and they won by a point. It, it's not like that they. They are all the all of a sudden the, the I don't yep. know who was the last team to go undefeated seventy six Indiana, you know that and yeah this is one of the most talented teams that Coach K has had but I I think that there a lot of people are overestimating this team I think there's more people picking Duke to win it this year than there were people picking Kentucky the year that they were undefeated back in uh, twenty fifteen I think people just have, seem to have this belief and I think 
I don't know. I would watch out for that. I, I've I, from what I've watched of Duke, I haven't watched him a ton though. I watched all three of their ACC tournament games. Great team, Zion out of his mind, ridiculously good generational talent. Not a great shooting team at points. I think beatable, and you brought up that great point about their er, – saying it twice in the same sentence – brought up that great point about their point guard. But, yeah, I think I think that's a similar thing. I think that could be a mismatch with Cassius. But at the same time, I think almost any team uh, is going to have a mis- mismatch going up against Cassius just because he's that good. Is, is it just me or does this year feel like there's more top-tier teams than there have been in the past? Yeah. Absolutely. This is a weird bracket too, in that um, it feels like there there's there's a lot of potential for conference rematches. Like you could have Michigan Minnesota or Michigan State Minnesota, Michigan State Maryland. Um, yeah, that is really weird. You never see. You never. And see I think that. it speaks to. I mean, they're just the bubble teams just weren't there this year. Um, you know, I think yeah. that uh, I kind of lost my train of thought. Um, going back to the. Uh, the West region. Uh, I want to just uh, Mark Few's been at Gonzaga for I think this is his twentieth year now. Um, entertain me if you will. Allow me to. I'm just going to run through like how they finish in East postseason because they've made the NCAA tournament in every year. So, all right, bear with me here. Sweet sixteen, Sweet sixteen, round of sixty four, round of thirty two, round of thirty two, round of thirty two, Sweet sixteen. Round of 64, round of 64, sweet 16, round of 32, 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 elite eight, sweet 16, national runner up, sweet 16. So the last four or five years have been like, you can pretty much pencil them into the sweet 16, but that's a long history of <laughs> flaming out early. And I mean, we're talking about teams that, um, you know, 2003, 2004, 28 and three, 2004, 2005, 26 and five. Those are round of 32 teams, 29 and four in 2005, 2006. I think this was the Adam Morrison year, sweet 16. Um, yeah. Yeah, UC, yeah, that was, the, that was the Gus Johnson. What a game. UCLA. Yeah. I remember watching that on like yeah. a nine inch TV. At my Dude, grandma. I was just going to oh, say, oh. yeah. <laughs> Cause it the was like TV super late at night. Probably so small. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 32 and three, 2012, 13 round of 32. Thir- yeah. That was 35 and three, State, yeah. 2004, 15 or 2014, 15. That was an elite eight year. Um, the year they went 37 and two, a couple years ago, obviously national runner up and they were 32 and five last year in the sweet 16. So, I'm not like you can't, it's a different group. I get it, but we're going on 20. I mean, out of all of this, yeah, sweet mm-hmm. 16. Is, I, I, if you're, if you're an elite program, like say what you about Gonzaga, they are an elite program. They're there every year. They win 30 games just about every year. You can pretty much pencil it into the sweet 16, um, but there's a whole lot of sweet 16 round of 32 round of 64s in there. Like more, more than half. I mean, five of them alone, um, from 2010 to 2014, five round of 32 exits. And there are another three of those, eight, and then one, two, three, four uh, round of 64 exits. So that's that's half the time they've been in the tournament under Mark Few. They've been either out right off the bat 
or out before the first weekend is over. So, and they've been they've been so good for the last few years that it kind of feels like they're due for that again. Um, but they also could be due, you know, who knows? But I'm just saying, like, their reputation precedes itself. So if you're telling me that Michigan potentially, if they can go on a run, because I, I do, if they get past Nevada, who will beat Florida, because Florida is not very good. They're 19 and 15. Um, if they get past, if Nevada gets past Florida, if Michigan can get past Nevada, they're going to go to the Elite Eight. Like, that's just how I feel about it. Cause you look, I mean, they should be fine. Like, I think they'll beat Nevada. Um, I think they'll be fine in Des Moines this weekend. And then if you go, when you go out to Anaheim, that's another, I think, uh, I forget who tweeted out. It might have been Zach Shaw from 24 7 that there's like 55,000 U of M alums out there. So if they're playing out there, that's going to be like a home game for them if those people show out. Uh, not to mention the people who would travel. So, if they get past this opening weekend um, and okay. So real quick, let's talk like back to Gonzaga. Gonzaga is a high scoring team. One of the best in the country might be the best in the country. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the potential exists for them to play a team like Syracuse in the second round who um, go back to, you know, as recent as last year to what that zone defense can do to a pretty good deep, uh, a pretty good basketball team. So, I don't know. Like, well, here's I looked at that too when I first saw the matchup. So I went into the numbers. Gonzaga is number one overall in the country in effective field goal percentage, which is what you need to beat that Syracuse zone. Yeah. So uh, unless they they could have an off shooting day, but the chances are that they won't. That's the right. one thing uh, that that definitely concerns me. I'm just saying, like Bayheim, like Bayheim is not necessarily a Mount Rushmore of like college basketball in terms of coach, but. You know, I feel like when you talk about who's going to have the advantage X's and O's wise, I would give Bayheim the advantage over Mark Few. Like, is that a hot take? Yeah, he, he Bayheim has this weird thing where <laughs> he get, has these teams that that occasionally <laughs> suck, <laughs> and he find and he takes some places. Like last year, what well, Syracuse made it to what the did they make it to the I Elite Eight or bounced. did they get bounced in the Sweet they were, Sixteen? They were done. I think they were done the game after that Michigan State okay, game they, because but, that's what made Michigan State fans even more mad about it. Right, because that team couldn't make a shot, and they and they and they played in the play-in game and ended up making it to Sweet Sixteen a couple of years ago. They they had an eleven seed. Uh, a team that a lot of people I remember, especially Charles Barkley, was saying should not have made it in. Uh, make it to the Final Four. You can thank Virginia and their ability to just be Virginia in the Elite Eight, blowing that. Uh, but still, yeah, I, I'd i agree with you there. Beheim Bay, when he gets into these situations, uh, seems to take teams a lot farther than, uh, th- than they uh, probably have any right going. It just seems like to me that... Th- it just seems like to me the ingredient, like the ingredients, if Gonzaga is going to be out mm-hmm. early, like the ingredients are just kind of there. Um, talking about another team that has a history of flaming out early. And then Luke will probably like probably should break after this. Um, if you go out and look yeah. at uh, Virginia's region, they're going to have a couple rock fights in there. Like they're in the same, same region as uh, might even be the same pod as, um, 
Wisconsin and Kansas State. Like, if you get to, like if you're getting to a low scoring, and I think that Virginia is very good too. Uh, obviously, I feel like they have finally some scoring, but at, you know, they are the most famous flame out of all time because they're the first number one seed that's ever lost to a 16. That's not going to happen this year, I don't think. But uh, if you get into one of those low scoring slugfests with a Wisconsin or you know a Kansas State. Um, it could be interesting out there too. A uh, lot of some weird matchups, some weird groupings, but uh, it makes for some. I mean, we're junk. I mean, the th- we're going to watch no matter what. Like we're sort of junkies about it all, but uh, some interesting uh, potential for um, yeah. flameouts, so to speak. Well, before we head to break, I uh, just want to ask you guys: Michigan, do they make it past the first weekend? Yes or no? Yes, I think so. Yeah, I, th- I think so too. I mean, look, I- I'm distraught as hell about the way about yesterday's game, and really, kind of uh, the way the last couple of weeks have gone. But they they played good basketball this weekend, you know, and so I, like they're in they're yeah. in pretty good shape. Um, yeah, I think my biggest, and I didn't, I don't think I said this when we talked about the turn the Big Ten tournament, so I'll say it real quick. Body of work wise, three games in three days. What I saw was a team that, you know, looks ready. They look more ready for March than they did, obviously, down the stretch of the season. Uh, they they took care of teams that they're expect they were expected to take care of. They competed against a team that's, you know, I'm sorry, one of the four, five, six best teams in the country. Lost again. I get it, but viewing that game in a vacuum, they competed. They were there. Um, when you look at it as experience, as, as a, a notch in your belt something going into this NCAA tournament. Uh, I think it's not only something that they can use for fuel, but also something they can learn from too. Um, it worries me that they still don't really have a lead dog offensively. I think that we're seeing Iggy Brazdakis sort of he wants become to be. that. Uh, I don't know. He wants to be. He's he's not quite there. Jordan Poole thinks he is, but he's not. Um, but I think that Nevada, assuming it's Nevada, because uh, now that's not – I know it's a 15. Let's not completely write off Montana. That's a team that got out to – and John Beeline said it. It's a team that got out to a 10 nothing lead against them last year. So it is a team that, you know, it, it's di- a different year, different team. But, um, you know, you can never rule out anything. So it's – I'm pretty comfortable saying they'll get past Thursday. I'm – I think th- I think they'll get past Saturday, and I think that they will play in Anaheim. And if they play in Anaheim, uh, I think that they have a chance to ride that to Minneapolis. Um, but like I said, you know, play four games. I think they have a, a great chance to do that. Well, it is March, but start a spring ball. We've got some football to talk when we come back on Brewcast. Back in here on Brewcast, just wrapped up. I mean, we've got a good amount of time, bro. We got it. We're about an hour in, and we've talked a lot of basketball. But spring ball, it started, boys. We're we're already a few months away. Before you know it, they're going to be kicking it off coming up in September. Um, started spring ball. Anthony, you went over uh, press conference today. Jim Harbaugh and uh, a lot of good takes from what I see. Uh, it's getting the Michigan fan base fired up with uh, with a couple of things he said particularly about Gaddis and his offense. Yeah. Um, this was the first time that we had heard from Jim Harbaugh in since the bowl game. So almost three months. And obviously a lot has happened since then. Uh, Josh Gaddis, uh, uh, you know, thinking a new offense is going to come and, and he confirmed that and confirmed it in a big and I think crowd pleasing way. Uh, so 
we'll we'll play some of that. I've got audio from it. He talked to the media for 31 minutes. I'm not going to play all of it. Um, you know, there's there's enough outlets where you can get that. I've got a recap of it on the on the website. So head to mazenbrew.com if you want kind of a, a nut not. It's not a deep dive, but just kind of bullet points um, with some of the bigger takeaways. But um, obviously the biggest is – so here's what we're going to do here. Um, and you guys let me know if this sounds all right. So I will – I've got one, two, three, four. I've got five cuts in the, in the machine here. I'll set up the cut. I'll play the cut. We'll talk about it. And then you know we don't need to go into a deep dive, just quick thoughts. And then I'll play the next cut. And then I'll read some of the other takeaways at the end. And then we can uh, – no, wrap this up if we have no Let's other do thoughts. It. Deal? Sounds good. Okay, so first up, obviously Josh Gaddis, new offensive coordinator, coming over from Alabama. Everyone knows about the the hashtag speed and space and all of that and how they're seems like they're gonna make more of an effort to put the ball in, into playmakers' hands and, and go modern here. So um Jim Harbaugh was asked about what the biggest difference so far. Mind you, their only first practice was on Sunday. And then uh, I think they practiced. Uh, this was a media session before day number two. I think they were practicing somewhere in the afternoon. So um, this is what Jim Harbaugh says is the biggest difference about the offense so far. I think the biggest difference that people will see will be the uh, the tempo. You know, the, um, the tempo that's more up-tempo. Um, Less less huddle. That'd be number one. So a short little answer there, but uh, he also expanded on that. So I'll play okay. this cut and then we'll talk about it. Uh, I don't know if it if it if it's that big of a philosophical switch. Uh, and to Josh's credit, he has done a fantastic, phenomenal job of uh, of coming in and looking at looking at our personnel, looking at what we do well, what we did well in both the run game, the, the, uh, the pass game, <clears throat> the protections, uh, and, and, and making it cohesive with, with his system. And words are different, but uh, you know, it's the, some of the, the same amount of uh, you know, the way we do things. You know, it's, it's, it's blended really good. And, and, and uh, coaches have done a great job of, of uh, all of them, of uh, you know making that happen. So I don't know how how huge of it is. The tempo's big. The tempo's a huge a huge change from you know huddling to not huddling. That's a that that's big. So um, and other things, but it's it's good. I like it. It's it's got a it's got more of attacking feel, you know, to uh, to the offense in terms of tempo and. Um, in terms of uh, you know uh, going downfield uh, in the in the passing game um, and you know, some other things, but you know different personnel groups. You know has that uh, same feel that we've always done. You know of multiple personnel groups and you know you're attacking in, in that way. Uh, you're attacking in, in terms of multiple formations. Um, um, Possibility when you when you put in an RPO that I mean it could be a run or it could be a pass. It's it's d- dictated on uh, call a call the same play 40 times and 30 times, 34 times it could be a a pass. 34 of those times it could be a run or somewhere in between. So uh, you know has has that kind of feel. I like that. I like that there's an attacking feel to that. You know that that the the defense has to has to be aware of. Um, 
and then the tempo that feels like a that feels good too that feels like we're we're uh, attacking with that part of the tempo a team can't just get the bead on on uh, what your tempo is all the time so um where we are i want i want to okay, believe so- him so bad but I, I just, I can't, I can't bring myself to do it about like the no huddle and the tempo because how many times? It- well, let me, let me say this. Having been there, like, and that isn't a flex or anything. Sorry. That, yeah. Humble brag. Uh, my bad. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> having been there, <laughs> you little, uh, whatever. <laughs> um, having been there, to, I mean, what I, it seemed like, first of all, he said attacking a lot, which reminds me of like when you go to a company conference and they have the buzzword like synergy. Yeah. Like we're going to be synergy and all that. Like, I think he's subtly trying to plug his <laughs> podcast. He could be attacking. Uh, we're going to attack this year. We're going to keep attacking. We're going to attack each day. Uh, uh, attack, <laughs> uh, the hard boss podcast out every Tuesday. Uh, you can find it uh, on, on yeah, all that. Um, to me, my takeaway from, from that was that, uh, and there are longer cuts of it early on. And, you know, I didn't need to play all that, but he uh, kind of sounds like uh, he did say like Josh Gaddis is going to coordinate the offense and he's going to call the plays. And it sounds like to me, he's still learning it. So um, I know there's a lot of ums and buts and, you know, you know repeated words in there, but I, I it's in theory, it, it it's, it all kind of sounds like what we talked about it needing to be. And I know that there's going to be some skepticism of whether we should believe him or not. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where things are. So uh, interested in your thoughts. What that sounded like to me was one of the most, I'd say self-aware Harbaugh I've heard in a long time. And what I mean by that is he he'd basically had been in hibernation for three months. Uh, we hadn't heard anything from him. We know how last season ended and how the season before ended and how the season before that ended. Um, and I th- I think he, he – you we were joking about it a little bit, but he was throwing around those buzzwords uh, in a way to get fans' hopes up. He knows what the situation is. He knows where the frustrations lie. Uh, and I'm sure, the, of course, the frustrations the fans have are the same frustrations he's, he's had. Uh, listening to the audio, though, I mean, it does the, just the possibility of it. And, and I, I'm not usually one of these guys who falls victim to this stuff, but it does. It did make me smile. I, just the idea of opening up this offense uh and what it could be uh when you when you couple that with what has been minus you know a few really big games a, a dominant defense uh it it gives you hope um it it does get you excited uh there's i'm not jumping up and down but the possibility of what this could be uh is is really cool to think about and I'll just I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, and he's usually very calculated with his answers, and you can tell he kind of thinks and does the mental gymnastics to say something, but not give everything away. And and he was asked to. I don't have this cut. I'm just saying it here. Um, he was asked if he thought he had the personnel to do all this, and like very quickly he said yes, and sort of had like a smile on his face, and then went into. I do have a video of it. I'll post it on the website. Um, went to like a five minute diatribe on a, 
each position group and, and what they have there and, and how excited he is for that. So I, I do think that there is um, there is some excitement there on his part. I think that self-aware, I think you hit it on the head there. I think he's he knows he saw what we saw, I think it is what the biggest takeaway is. And we'll see how, how it goes from there. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm one of those ones. That's probably going to meet it with some skepticism till I see it, but what, what else do we got? All right. Well, uh, so next cut here, uh, Another big storyline is obviously the quarterback position. You can't have a an up-tempo offense. Uh, you can't have an elite offense without your signal caller. And Harbaugh was asked about uh, the quarterback position and uh, where Shea Patterson stands and where um, the other guys stand right now. Uh, so I'll play that right here. So Dylan, Dylan McCaffrey's back uh, 100%, can uh, participate, had a, had a really good day yesterday. And... Uh, right now, Shay, Dylan, Joe are all getting equal reps, and that um, they're all all looking good. You know, it's uh, it's a really good, talented quarterback room. Uh, Brandon Peters, Cade McNamara, getting in the mix. Uh, Mike Sessa's, you know, doing a really good job. But uh, you know, that's uh, the balls are out there. They're competing for them, and and uh, you know they're doing good. Depth chart, Shea's number one, Dylan's number two, uh, Joe's number three. And uh, you know, there's no possible way that Shea Patterson will be able to put his feet up and, uh, uh, in my opinion, you know, there's got serious competition there with, uh, with uh, Dylan and, and Joe right now. So it'll be a fun spring. Like, uh, like I get it why he says it and why he has to say it. And I'm glad that that's kind of the mindset and hopefully Shea actually believes him, but barring an injury, there is maybe a 0.1% chance. Shea is not the starting quarterback for the opening game. I'll say this. And I, 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 I rummage through Twitter so much and see so many headlines that I, I don't know exactly where I read this at. But that clip has been so taken out of context because everything I was seeing is uh, – all that all that people are saying is Harbaugh says Shea Patterson has serious competition uh, and at the top of the uh, – at the top of the depth chart and that uh, he's getting equal. I saw a thing that just said he's getting equal reps with Dylan McCaffrey. It's not true. He's given all three of the uh, quarterbacks equal reps. I feel like he's probably done that every year he's been there. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, it's also day one I, of spring practice too. Like <laughs> Exactly. Uh, so I, uh, that's just funny to me hearing that in its full context. I would, I would still put it at a higher percentage uh, chance. I'd say 10% that McCaffrey's the starting quarterback next year. Uh, I obviously you want the best guy to be under center. It would, it would disappoint me and it would be a bit worrisome if Patterson loses the job or, you know, to put it more optimistically, uh, McCaffrey wins the job because that would be five years and, uh, and essentially five different signal callers. Yeah. Uh, which is 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 pretty brutal. Yeah. Uh, and I think the one thing – and Shea was far from perfect last year, but he had a good year. And the one thing you can definitely say is that, uh, especially compared to the year before, he provided some consistency there. And 
hopeful I, I would I would hope that he's able to to you know improve a bit more uh and I've obviously I have no problem with you know McCaffrey maybe breathing down his neck but I think once again like I brought up self-aware I think that last uh quote by Harbaugh was very tacked on to to hopefully kind of light a light a uh fire under Shea's feet yeah the way this I know people will say oh Wow, Harbaugh's being very open. He's giving out his quarterback depth chart. Um, I think it's the opposite. I think if uh, if there was a competition to be had, I think that he would be playing a little bit more coy about it. Um, but this is Shea. Shea is their starting quarterback. He, he hasn't done anything to lose his job. Sorry, Michigan Twitter. Uh, Shea was from week one to whatever, game 14 or game 13, the most reliable starting quarterback they've had under Jim Harbaugh. I know Rudock was better at the end, but those first five, six games of Jake Rudock were not great. Um, I know because Dylan McCaffrey has made a few plays in garbage time. I'm not ready to crowd. Like there's this take that, and and we've talked about this before. The backup quarterback is always going to be the most popular guy. Um, I think, uh, you know, I'll go a little bit lower than even you. I'll say I'm about 85% sure that Shea will be the starting quarterback. I do think there is a chance uh, he could be passed up, but that if my take on Shea getting passed up would be that, he's going to be extremely outshined as opposed to not being good enough to win the job. If Shea Patterson, if one of these guys beats out Shea Patterson for the starting job, you might have something special on your hands. I was just going to say, I would go place a very large bet on Michigan to win the Big Ten and ultimately make the college football playoff because it would be very hard to outshine Shea uh, for what you would need to outshine him by to win that starting job. Yeah, uh, I I pretty much agree with that. Um, I, I think if there's a chance that he could be replaced, it would be performance related somewhere yeah. in the season. Like we've been, we've you know, most of Michigan's big games come in those last, you know, the last month or so of the year. If it's one of those things where they're playing Rutgers or whatever, and Shea Patterson isn't playing well against Rutgers, would I be surprised to see, uh, you know, something similar like John O'Corn gets benched for Brandon Peters. Now that Shea Patterson is a much better player, it'd be a much different situation, but um, in an offense that's suited, that's going to be better suited to what he should be able to do as a player. Um, really what all three of those quarterbacks should be able to do. Um, if you don't, if he doesn't perform those first few weeks, then yeah, we'll talk, but uh, I, I don't see there being a quarterback position, but it's, it's, if you take Harbaugh's words for what they are, cause I certainly don't think he says anything to mislead or misguide people. Um, if you take the words for what they are, they are at least open to the possibility of seeing what every guy can do as opposed to, you know, penciling one guy in and then not, uh, you know, it's important to have all three guys ready. And in spring, there's really, n- I mean, you have nothing to lose. I mean, it, it's better to get Joe Milton and Dylan McCaffrey reps with the first team now than it would be, you know, in if there's an injury in, in week three or week four, and then they get pushed into the starting lineup with no experience. Like, I think this is, just, I mean, it's, it's spring football. Like, don't read too much into it. Like, we've talked about that before. Um, so are we good on QBs then? Yeah. Let's. What else we got? All right. So running back position, obviously a, a big storyline right now uh, with 
Chris Evans away from the team. Harbaugh did confirm he's away from the team. Was asked if there's a chance that he could return. Said that uh, there is possibly a chance that the door is somewhat open there. Uh, but he talked about a few guys that uh, he's very pleased with. And, and before I get into uh, the cut, I will uh, I will say that Zach Charbonnet, I know he's the big guy. Uh, everyone is kind of like rallying around him right now. Uh, he does not sound like he's going to participate in spring football. He had uh, some sort of meniscus procedure, just a routine thing. They don't seem worried about it, but uh, it's also not something that they need to rush him back from. So um, that's not included in this clip, but I will play uh, what he had to say about the running backs here. They're a good group. I'm, 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 I'm happy with our running backs. Uh, Christian Turner has surged um, from bowl practices to bowl game. Uh, and then since then, he is uh, A++ in terms of, of how he's going about his business. So he is, he is really becoming a uh, uh, you know, rising player. No question about it. True Wilson is also, uh, you know, better, quicker. He's he's, he's got some. Um, he's faster. He's really been dedicated toward that in this off-season winter conditioning program. Coach Herbert and staff have have uh, dedicated, you know, big portion of his his training this off-season to get that get that next gear. And um, excited about uh, you know that the way that's that's going. Okay, and another guy he did uh, mention that's not included was uh, Hassan Haskins. Uh, I think they're going to be focusing on him at running back. They said that he has played well as well. So um, that's where things stand with the running backs right now. I mean, yeah, I I still think Charbonnet is probably at some point in the season going to take it over if he's everything that everyone mentions because, like, Christian Turner is a great player. But from what I'm hearing, man, Charbonnet is like, a generational talent like that's what everyone's kind of making him s- seem like you know i also would caution that michigan fans seem to do that with high caliber recruits like Derek green was that Fair. um no no I, this is this wasn't for michigan fans though you know oh, this was oh, from yeah, he's very well like, thought of across the country like that's a big get for them right I think right he's gonna be a good player uh just not gonna be there in the spring which again not a huge deal wouldn't put too much into it but uh no it sounds like they sound they feel a little bit better about the position than um you know, and honestly, let's be real here. Like Kron Higdon, three-star recruit. Like that was a guy that uh, you know everyone's like, oh, oh God, they they missed out on Mike Weber because they they picked they picked Kron Higdon. Um, Kron Higdon had the better career, and I think he's going to wind up being drafted a little bit higher. So I'm not worried about running backs uh, really if the offensive line does its job. Uh, we know how good the passing game uh, can be. Uh, I think whoever's back there is going to be in decent shape. So. Um, yeah, I'm not worried too much about them, but it's, it's good to hear that at least early on, they, they feel good about what they have. Yeah. I, I, I really don't have much, much else to add to that. Really? <laughs> That's fine. I mean, you don't, you don't have I'm to. Just tired. I, 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 the, he didn't, he didn't say uh, a ton there. I mean that, uh, a Turner surging, I guess, isn't uh, is kind of the the big uh, thing to take away from that from that uh, quote. But uh, I don't really have much else to add. All right, uh, and then this isn't really this is more on the field or off field stuff. Uh, obviously, the big storyline uh, before Josh Gaddis came in, it might have been a couple of days before. I forget what the timeline of it was. 
Greg Madison leaves for Ohio State, takes a pay raise, becomes their defensive coordinator under uh, new head coach Ryan Day. Uh, this is the first time that Harbaugh's had the chance to address that and uh, got a little bit awkward at the end. Lucas heard the clip, uh, but I'll play it again. And uh, definitely something something to talk about here. No, I'm su- not, uh, I wouldn't say shocked. I was surprised, yeah. Um, but uh, coaching-wise, he wanted to be a coordinator again, uh, you know, and, and darn near doubled his salary. I mean, I don't hold that a... Uh, Hold that against him, you know. But we're not going to be sending each other Christmas cards based on where he went. Yeah. But uh, that's that's how I did that. That's how I feel and understand it. But that going to Ohio State, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, shock. But that part of it, does that surprise you at all that he would go from Michigan to Ohio State? I, I mean, I know he went to Notre Dame, but you know, you don't have to put words in my mouth. I just stand on the answer I just gave you. Okay. Still a good man. Still have a ton of respect for him, and and we'll be we'll be friends again someday when we're when we're both not you know when we're done coaching. A little bit of shade there, huh? I like that. I like that quote at the end about we'll be friends again someday. Uh, um, but look, it, I think that's an appropriate response. I mean, I you don't you don't want him to say I you know it was despicable. I hate the guy, or maybe some people do, uh, but you don't want him to say everything's you know peaches and cream, <laughs> it, it just because that wouldn't be genuine. And Harbaugh, it, you know, say what you will about him. The guy's extremely honest, and I think I think that's how he feels. To be honest, I think he was surprised. I think he was probably a bit blindsided by it. I'm but, sure there um, were a, th- a few mfs said behind closed doors, like. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, but you know the he, he he's you know he was a, he was a line line coach you know so he, I think that they're gonna move on from it and uh, you know, hopefully it'll make it that much sweeter if uh, if they ever beat Ohio State. You can you can kind of tell from that clip though, right? That he's on edge about it a little bit. It seems like yeah. like he's not overtly gonna show that he's upset but you can tell he's a little bit pissed off about it but uh, like he said you can't really blame him i mean they're gonna double his salary i mean what are you gonna do i would i would leave you guys for the ohio state broadcast if they started doubling my salary hey that's my line i said that i said that <laughs> i don't remember did I don't you remember. i guess i said that on twitter but uh, hell yeah i'd sell i'd oh. throw both of you guys <laughs> under the bus like if they're like Hey, you yeah. want to come host In the Michigan heartbeat. State podcast? Like, yeah, um, well, no question. Like, yeah, you want to double my salary? We'll talk. Let's do it. Um, yeah, it is what it is. I thought it was just interesting. Uh, people see the tweets and stuff. I think it's important to um, those. Those to me were, were the most notable um things coming out of the, in terms of audio. Um, I think Chris kind of hit on it in terms of, oh, you see the tweets and you see the headlines. It's made out to be what it is. I think it's more important to kind of hear the context of it because things can be taken out of context for whether it be clicks or retweets, whatever. It's uh, And that's it's a fast-paced thing, too. You're trying to live tweet a press conference or whatever. And I'm probably guilty of this, too. Um, I won't lie. There's a few things in there that are kind of doing numbers today because they were written the way they are. Uh, but it is, it is what it is. Um, I'll just go through some odds and ends stuff here, and you guys can chime in with thoughts afterwards. Um, this is from the piece on Mazer. So um, Harbaugh had opened things up by saying that, again, to me, this is more coach speak, but uh, best start to the spring so far in terms of players being physically ready and, and 
having knowledge of, of the scheme and the plays, which I don't necessarily buy that because obviously it's a brand new offense and it sounds like he's even still learning it, uh, but that's how he opened it up. Um, played the Christian Turner clip. Uh, ben Mason. Okay. This is the one that I forgot to put in there. Ben Mason is going to play like they're going to try him out of like five different positions, um, both sides of the football. Jim Harbaugh said that he's a good enough player where they want, you know, last year's getting maybe 10, 20 snaps a game. They want him like in the 60 or 70 range. And obviously if you're going, you know, an up-tempo offense, um, you know, the fullback's going to be used in goal line and short yardage and all that. But, uh, you know, you got to find other, they're, they're going to find other ways to get him on the field, which is kind of funny to me because he's the first player that they're looking to do that with since Jabril Peppers. And um, I certainly wouldn't have thought that uh, their next Swiss army knife, uh, aside from Jabril was going to be Ben Mason of all people, but <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, to, to be fair, though, he is his like yearbook quote for football is "I like to hit people," so it, it, it makes sense. I, I like to have that guy on the field that mo- most times, you know, he likes to hit people. Oh, in terms of you have people aren't really talking about this. Like you have a <laughs> a psycho person to replace on the field. Like and you're losing Chase Winovich. Like and Chase, we love you. Like that's not a dog against you. It's just your mentality on the field. Uh, but yeah, Mason is going to play at least now, obviously fullback. They could try him at tailback tight end. They said is, is in play uh, defensively. Uh, he'd be a small speedier three technique defensive tackle. And then maybe sometimes an edge rusher as well. So um, that I thought was very interesting. We don't need to do a deep dive on that. Uh, but uh, other guys in terms of other positions, Ben Van Sumerin, they're testing him out at running back and linebacker. Uh, said already Hassan is at running back, and Michael Barrett is at Viper. Um, Jalen Mayfield, Andrew Stuber right now are the guys battling out for the right tackle job, so it doesn't seem like they're going to shuffle that line around at all. They like what they have. John running at left tackle. Um, maybe down the line that could be switched around, but right now it's Mayfield and Stuber for the right tackle job. Uh, Devin Bush, obviously – Arguably the heart and soul of that defense last year, a sideline to sideline type of player. Uh, right off the bat, Harbaugh said the first guy in his mind that could replace him is uh, Josh Ross. Uh, seemed very talking about Josh Ross, uh, and he said that he wants to see how he performs before um, they consider any changes to the expectation of that position, how they're going to coach that position, things like that. So, uh, Josh Ross, right now, day two of spring football. Uh, top of the depth chart in terms of replacing Devin Bush. Of course, Jordan Anthony, uh, Cameron, Cameron, uh, I can't say that McGrone, uh, other, other players competing there. Uh, Lavert Hill, Nico Collins, as of now, uh, not set to participate in spring practice, uh, with injuries. Not sure if they're going to hold, it's going to be held out for all of spring. Um, they didn't really confirm that way or another. Uh, Donovan Peels Jones is also working through something. Um, like I said, it's still early on, so we'll, we'll see. But at the start of spring practice, those guys are not on the field. Um, and then there's one more here. Oh, Harbaugh said they could pursue another grad transfer, uh, and this is in quotes, uh, if he's as good as Mike Dana. So that is my report from uh, Schembechler Hall on Monday, listening to Jim Harbaugh. Definitely uh, something to keep an eye on as we move forward. But uh, as you mentioned, Anthony, before the show, we are a long way off of football, but some interesting things to keep an eye on here. 
uh, in spring ball. But going to be a fun start to the tourney at the end of the week. This has been a, a good brewcast here this week. We got a lot covered. Absolutely, but uh, uh, we got to get we got to get rolling so we can get on into the back end of the week. I'll let you guys uh, wrap up. Let us know where we can find you on social media so we can uh, engage with you a little bit. Chris, I'll start with you. Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Castellani twenty fourteen. That's at C A S T E L L A N I two O. One four, a lot of activity uh, on my Twitter page the last uh, day or so with uh, my post game following uh, yesterday's game uh, being uh, pretty well received. And as always, just every retweet, every like, man, I really, really appreciate all the support, uh, everyone out there. It's just beyond cool. Every time uh, it, the the support never gets old. You can find me on Snapchat uh, under the same handle. If you want to see my in- Instagram, that's Chris Castle ninety five. That's C H R I S C A S T L E nine five. And uh, yeah, give me a follow on all those platforms. Oh, and also in my Twitter page, there's a link to my. Uh, YouTube channel. Uh, I just posted, or not just, but about a week ago, posted my uh, review of Captain Marvel, so you could check that out as well. And uh, yeah, so give me a follow and or subscribe on all those platforms. Anthony. Yeah, uh, before I, you know, shout out myself, uh, of course, uh, what to let everyone know, we're not going to, like, obviously, we're not going to do, we didn't do a deep dive in the brackets and do predicting Final Fours and upsets. Uh, if you want any of that, uh, the views from Stadium Boulevard podcast with uh, uh, Hannah Harshi, Harley Johnson, they did a special. So go check that out. Uh, we'll have some content, other stuff like that during the week. Uh, also, sign up for our bracket challenge uh, on the site. It's free. You can compete with us. Certainly, um, I don't assign my staff to do much of anything, um, but I, they will all be filling out a bracket. So you get to, and that's uh, I, that's an edict right now um, that I just made up. So uh, staff is going to fill out a bracket. Fill out your bracket. Uh, the bracket challenge is on the website right now. Uh, so head over to Mason Brew. Uh, enter the bracket game. Um, don't have any big prizes. I mean, it's you know it's for bragging rights. It's for you know we can maybe come up with something, but um, won't be monetary or sentimental. But we'll if you win it, maybe we'll work something out. Get some sort of shout out. We'll see. But uh, other than that, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Anthony T Broom. Uh, follow the website on. Um, Mazenbrew.com. Wow, why did I blank on that? That's weird as hell. Um, <laughs> it's been a long weekend. Uh, I It was also <laughs> St. Paddy's Day weekend in Chicago, so uh, brain cells still very much coming back. So um, Green River is very cool, by the way. It's it's a lot more green than I thought it would be. But uh, yeah, uh, Anthony Anthony T. Broom uh, on Twitter, A.T. Broom on Instagram. Um, I don't have a mixtape or anything, so um, yeah, just uh, keep to keep trudging along. Let's keep the conversation going. Uh, reminder, we're not, on, our shows aren't on SoundCloud anymore, which you know, if you're listening to this, because you're not listening to it on SoundCloud, uh, but still, and everywhere podcasts are found still, you know, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, all that. I think I just kind of took Luke's job there for a second, but uh, it was on my mind. So I said, it. Hey, you can find me on Twitter at Luke Yardy, L U K E G H I A R D I. Make sure you follow the Brewcast show page. Anthony, he did a great job of taking over the Brewcast Twitter account when he was down in Chicago. If you missed any of that, you got to go check it out. Give it a follow. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't do that great of a job. You did but a good there job. were some tweets in there. There were more <laughs> the, tweets. The Scott there. the Scott Bell one was top five. <laughs> top five. Yeah, that was a good one. I won't lie. I'm kind of mad I didn't make it yeah. from my own account. <laughs> 
you know, spread content to all three. Hey, spoiler alert. When you see a tweet that's in a story article uh, from Mason Brew, it's usually me. When you see a tweet from Brewcast, it's usually me. And you see a tweet from me, it's always me. So my thoughts are everywhere. Uh, just, you know, a little look, un- under the hood look of uh, how this operation works. Well, it's been a fun episode of Brewcast. Can't wait to regroup the first weekend of the NCAA tournament with you and a little more on spring ball when we come back we- next week on Brewcast. Brewcast.